and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Johnny from Canada joins me today to discuss all kinds of fun stuff. What have you been up to, man? I have been up to uh, a ton of stuff. I've uh, just finished shooting some more uh, commercial instructional videos for a different company, uh, editing some green screen work. Very Ooh, good. How's that going? Uh, it's good. It definitely makes me uh, realize that uh, the uh, the limitations of my home edit bay a little bit because <laughs> it's kind of like heavier keying and stuff, and my computer's starting to get a little bit a little bit aged. So now, are you uh, just using like a muslin cloth, or are you doing anything super special? Nope, just uh, just a muslin cloth that's very well lit and really tightly uh, stretched out. Um, it was just all studio stuff, just kind of like talking head type stuff. Uh, okay, um, so no feet contact to the ground? No, no, not for this one, luckily. But uh, it turned out really, really well, like really well, considering that you know we only shot for about four hours. I ended up finishing up, like getting about 21 instructional videos shot in that time. <laughs> Nice. So it was, yeah, it was kind of crazy. It was fun. Yeah, so uh, I actually have one of those reflex media units in. I don't know if you've seen those where yeah. you have the, the light that goes around the camera and then it shoots and reflects. And I've been having a hell of a time getting that to give me a proper key. So, oh, really? yeah, I well, <laughs> I got suckered in. I was... I was at a convention a couple months ago, and they had one on display, and I was like, oh, man, this is great. Look at this. And he's like, they're doing live keying, and everything looks really good, and they're running through a box, and it's just doing great. And so I was like, okay, set me up with one. And so I ordered one, and I got it in, and for the life of me, I can't get it to key correctly. It's either blowing out and bleeding over, or the subject itself is getting the blue-green light mixed into them enough that it stands out. So... I don't know what exactly I'm doing wrong and their their description on how to space the lighting and everything isn't really very good. So I, maybe it's just a matter of like distance and placement, but right now it's just getting that ring light is putting too much blue and green onto the subject matter. So I don't know um, if any of you guys have used that reflex media uh, reflective green screen stuff. Let me know because I would be interesting to hear any sort of tips or tricks that you figured out in order to get that thing to work correctly. Yeah, I mean, I, for keying especially, I, I really just try to keep it as simple and basic as possible because it's just too much stuff that I have to do because I'm kind of a one man band. The one thing I do really like though the uh, that uh, fluorescent behind me actually you can get the the green or blue bulbs. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Is it just for so, even lighting on your green screen then? Yeah, yeah. So it just makes everything like perfectly green. So if you have a two bay or four bay Kino Flow or any other fluorescent uh, fixture, you can get like a green bulb that just makes it even more green. It lights it but keeps it green, so you don't have any color variants anywhere or anything and it's very effective it's really cool i've gotten kind of lucky um in the areas some of the areas i work there's actually an, a rental studio that has a full green screen room and it's already pre-lit and everything so you just bring a camera in set it down and go and you don't really have to do a lot of thinking but uh i was hoping that the uh, reflex media would be my solution to not having to pay rental space it currently is um a 500 or $800 paperweight. So good job on that one. <laughs> Way to make well, a poor investment. Put it up on eBay. <laughs> yeah. It might, it might have to go on eBay eventually, but the, from what I understand, the, the material is the most expensive part. And then the ring lights are uh, significantly cheaper. So, Maybe if I upgrade the ring light, because I believe the one I have right now is the last year's generation and there's a newer model. Maybe that will help. I don't know. Um, I haven't had <laughs> enough time to really do the research I need to in order to get good at it. So that's kind of on my list. But nice. on that note, it is time for the news. Time for the news. First up on the news list, we've got the MSI GS30 Shadow Gaming Docking Station. This is kind of an odd duck. So what this basically is, is it's a combination of a giant box that sits on your desktop and a ultra-portable laptop. And you're probably wondering, well, what's going on with the giant box? Why do I need a giant docking station? 
Well, the docking station provides space for a full-fledged desktop GPU as well as some extra SATA and network drives and has a dock built into the tiny laptop so that you can plug that in directly. And in docking mode, you can take advantage of a full-fledged GPU as well as more hard drive space and a better network connection. The laptop itself is much smaller because it's just running off of the Intel internal 500 or 5200 GPU that's on the i7 processor. It also means that you get good battery life when you're traveling, and when you're connected, you get awesome speeds for editing. Now, this awesomeness is going to set you back about $1,900 with the docking station and the laptop itself, and does not, I repeat, does not include a graphics card in the unit. So if you want an awesome graphics card to go along with this, I believe a GTX 970 is somewhere in the range of $400 or so. What do you think of this, Johnny? Uh I mean, it's not definitely, it's cool, but for, for me, I'm, again, I'm an Apple user. So I, I mean, I've seen guys bring decked out iMacs with the same specs uh, and they actually haul them around with them. Um, so I, I don't know with, for the size of that thing uh, and the, uh, and, and the price tag, uh, not for me. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking maybe. If you had a 4K screen for gaming or editing and you really wanted to just stick to one device, $1,900 to $2,000 will buy you a pretty decent desktop machine. Yeah. Um, it's not quite going to get you one of the trash can-shaped uh, Mac Pros, but uh, no. it will definitely get you a rockin' PC. You do get the tiny laptop, though, and I guess you could use the laptop as kind of your screener for footage and then plug this in for editing. $1,900, though, probably not my thing either. I think it's interesting, and I'd like to see more ideas like this. I would definitely love to see more docking uh, GPUs because that would mean that all these awesome GPUs I have laying around could easily be plugged into an editing laptop and I could reduce my footprint that much more. This does not appear to reduce your footprint at all, though. No. Uh, this no. looks like it's almost the size of a full-size tower. It also has to have <laughs> a full-size power supply inside to power that GPU and other essential bits. So you're not saving anything on space there. I don't know. Probably not for yeah. me. Not for you. Yeah. Who do you think needs this? I, I I don't know. Rich people that want to play video games uh, and have to have maybe a laptop to to travel around. Yeah. You don't have to be rich. I'm just. I mean, like I don't know. Students where you just want to keep everything in one laptop and then bring it to school, bring it home, plug it in. Play your game. <laughs> I don't know. What I don't know what else. How big is this thing? What are the specs? Um, I'm I'm trying to find sizes here, and actually, I'll go yeah. ahead and and put this up for everybody to kind of see here. Uh, there was some complaints earlier about uh, me not sharing what we're looking at as we're talking. Oh, and I just did window and window, so now you can All see right. everything. But uh, yeah. this is it right here. <laughs> this guy is is fairly big. It looks like it's not much bigger than the power supply, though. I don't have exact measurements. I'm clicking on the link right now, and there's a bunch of pictures for it, uh, but I'm not seeing a size. Display, blah, blah, blah. Um, dimensions. The docking station itself is 364 by 209 by 197 millimeters. I don't know what that means physically because I'm into inches. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm yeah. I'm guessing that's fairly large. Uh, Three hundred and twenty. That's I'm. I think that's like uh, isn't that ten or fifteen inches? Yep. So, yep. so you look. Yeah. So yeah. A fairly big foot and a bit. Yeah, a couple of feet. Uh, quite a a large item. <laughs> it is. How much does it weigh? I don't know. I think without oh, a graphics card, it's uh, there's a weight down here at the bottom. I'm looking. It's uh, two point or 4.2 kilograms uh, for the docking oh, station. And then on top of that, you have to install a graphics card and everything. So, yeah, probably not Probably not the regular thing. No. This is, Next generation. Yeah. Maybe uh, <laughs> when it gets skinnier, that will be the thing. 
that's it for yeah, computer really. hardware. Let's go ahead and move on to something that's a little more interesting here. I've got in front of me here the Kiowa Lens. And we've talked about this on a few podcasts. And the Kiowa Lens here is a $1,000 wide angle. They've got an 8.5 millimeter F2.8, a 12 millimeter F1.8, and a 25 millimeter F1.8. And these are all micro four thirds lenses. Uh, Kiowa, the brand, is known for their scopes, their. Uh, binoculars, or some might say long lookers. Uh, they've also got <laughs> some <laughs> other, um, you know, optics for security cameras and things like that. And this lens is looking to be pretty good. Uh, there's some reviews up on com, and his first impressions are basically that it's built like a tank, and it really compares very solidly with the Voigtlander offerings. What do you think about this? Are you going to spend $1,000 on a manual focus micro four-thirds lens? Um, if I, maybe if I, had a, if I had a micro four-thirds camera, for sure, uh, I would definitely think about it. I don't know if I would spend quite that much, though. I mean, are the Voigtlanders that much? Uh, the 25mm f0.95 can be had for significantly oh. cheaper used, but uh, yeah. the brand new price, I believe, is $899. I think uh, six, 650 is about right for a used price on the 25mm. The 17.5mm, though, it stays pretty solid, even used at about uh, 1100 to $1,000. And I think its retail price is somewhere in the range of 1200 So this is right about there. Uh, it's not 0.95. This yeah. is f2.8, but it's also wider at, at 8.5 millimeters as opposed to 17.5, which is the uh, Voigtlander offering. I suppose for black magic shooters, um, yeah. with the, the extra crop factor that you're dealing with, 8.5, that would get you kind of into more of a wide angle type of view as opposed to what you would get with the 17.5 because I think with the crop factor on a black magic pocket the 17.5 is almost a 50 millimeter it's like uh 46 or 48 something like that yeah so that yeah, might that, be a reason uh, yeah and and it looks it to like looking at the photo I, I haven't seen any uh uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen any any video with this yet or anything but uh looking at the, at the picture it looks like um the old it looks like the old vintage lenses, uh, Nikon and, and or even Canon FD lenses, um, which is which is good actually. It looks like it's is it all metal and yeah. Yeah, the entire thing is is all metal. It's a, a solid end stop uh, focus ring. It's got a giant filter hood with a screw in type of filter adapter, and. Nice. Yeah, it looks like they did a really good job on the design and the build. They're kind of wonky in that you can get them in uh, green, and you can also get them in a silver color as well as uh, black. So those other color offerings are options if that's something you're into. I'm kind of torn. I don't know that I would want a green lens, but I suppose... You know, they do sell like uh, those sleeves for your large lenses. Uh, the 70 to 200 millimeter uh, F2.8 has several hunting and kind of a camouflage themed things that you can do to it in order to make it whatever color you want, I suppose. Yeah. Well, some, t- you know, some, some guys like uh, the weird color uh, options too, just if you're on set with a bunch of other people that have lenses and stuff, you don't get things mixed up and saves you on, uh, on tape. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> it looks like uh, pricing wise, the most expensive version of this is going to be somewhere in the range of seventeen hundred dollars US, which is the eight point five that they're demoing here. The twelve millimeter and twenty five millimeter, respectively, are in the uh, eight hundred and twenty pounds, so probably about a thousand dollars to twelve hundred dollars, depending. So this is a very expensive lens you probably buy a lot of other stuff with that money. So yeah. maybe if you're on a budget, this is definitely not a budget purchase, but uh, take a look at it. Kiowa, it's another option for micro four thirds users. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. K-O-W-A, Kiowa, Kawa. Kawa, Kawa. Kawa sure, Bunga. let's go with Kawa. Yeah, Kawabunga lenses. Speaking of lenses, <laughs> we've got another one, and this is kind of an interesting bit. Um, Yongio, the maker of many flash units and so on, is releasing Canon and Nikon lenses. And we've kind of talked about this before. This is the 50 millimeter F1.8. 
and you can pick this up for about 55 to 65 dollars depending on where you're shopping and there's a good comparison out there from Tony Lathrop where he's got this and a Canon 50mm f1.8 if you go through and watch the video you'll see that the Yongyo is a little bit softer and that the autofocus isn't quite as accurate as the Canon. That said, it's $65 versus, I believe, yep. the uh, Canon 50mm f1.8 is somewhere in the range of $120 to $100, depending on where you buy it. So maybe that's worth it for you. Uh, what do you think? Would you go generic lens? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd definitely give anything a, a shot. I, I have my fair share of 50 mil uh, 1.8, so uh, I don't really need one. But I've heard about this for a while. They, didn't they have another? They had a different focal length as well, too, didn't they? Uh, they do have Before the uh, 35 millimeter F2. That's what it was. I don't know if yeah. that's hit the market yet. Um, they were talking about it about two months ago, and it was kind of in the works. They were talking a price of maybe $200, maybe $250, which is still significantly oh, really? cheaper than mm-hmm. Canon's offering. Yeah. So I don't know if that's on the market or not yet. I haven't checked Amazon recently to find out, but that's a good question. <laughs> now, well, I mean, this is this is really cool, you know, especially, I mean, a 50 1.8 is, you know, that's your nifty 50. That That's one of the most versatile lenses you can get. So for people starting out, it's fantastic. Yeah, for the price, um, a good plastic yeah. prime like that. I mean, now that actually kind of leads us on to one of the other things on our list here. And I just checked, by the way, there is no 35 millimeter uh, from Yongyo out on Amazon, at least, uh, maybe out on eBay, but I think that's still coming. I thought June was when they were talking about releasing that, but I could uh-huh. be wrong. So if I find anything out, I'll talk about it on one of the future casts, but I want to roll into lenses themselves, kit lenses. In fact, a lot of people spend a bunch of money. They buy a nice body and then they get the kit lens. And the first thing you hear from them is, man, I spent all this money, and this doesn't take any better pictures than my point-and-shoot camera. Now, John, have you been guilty of the uh, kit lens use? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. I, I, I still use my kit lenses sometimes, for sure. Now, I don't want to hark on, on uh, kit lenses too much because there are reasons to use them. But mm-hmm. one of the things that you're going to run into right out of the shoot is darkening. A lot of people report right away. They're like, man, when I zoom in, the image gets darker and I don't know what's going on. Well, one of the things to remember is that a lot of these kit lenses, for example, the one I have up here is the Canon 18 to 55 millimeter. And this is F35 to 5.6. And because it's F35 to 5.6, that means when you are zooming in, with the lens itself, it's changing aperture size from 3.5 to 5.6, which is actually going to darken the image down. So you need to think about that when you're zooming with this lens. If you go to 5.6 at the start, it'll say at 5.6 across the board. Then you don't have to worry about it darkening down. Now, John, when's a good time to use a kit lens? Um, I, I think the, uh, the image stabilizer, if you don't have any other image stabilized lenses, uh, I think that that's, that's fantastic. Fantastic! I actually have this exact one, the 18 to 55 mil. Um, I mean, I have wide primes, but I used to use it all the time for the 18 millimeter wide on uh, on my slider. Okay. Uh, constantly, and uh, I didn't, I don't, didn't use it as a zoom much. If I, I just picked a focal length and made my settings and went with it. But uh, I used it as a as a something wide and for anything uh, kind of handheld. So then basically if you have good light and you don't have to worry about going to shallow depth of field, that's probably a good choice for it. Not zooming is a good choice for it. Now, the other argument here, and I have this kind of uh, jotted down in the notes, is uh, composition versus lens quality. A lot of times people complain about kit lenses, but you can make any lens look really good if you have a really good composition. So something to think about if you don't have the budget for expensive lenses is – Go find something really cool to take a picture of or, you know, organize some stuff together. Or if you're filming, make sure that you have someone in charge of props that's bringing in really awesome stuff to kind of make your area look great. Do do you do this? Do you do uh, pre-dressing when you're setting up for a shoot? Um, uh, Sometimes I have to do it because, you know, it's some indie films and and productions you have to wear a lot of different hats. But uh, uh, when... 
when the, the actual, you know, production designers do it, it's much more impressive. But I mean, even, even, uh, sorry, going back to your point about, uh, uh, you can use any lens. Look at, um, this year at the film festivals at Sundance, what was cleaning up? It was the, the movie that was shot on the, uh, iPhone five. Oh yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it, well, I don't think that they were using anything fancy. They were using an anamorphic adapter, but I don't think that they were using big, fancy, crazy lenses, just DSLR lenses. Yeah, and so I, so I think where I'm trying to go with this, and I kind of lost my thread earlier, is that with these cheaper lenses, as long as you use them correctly, they're still there's a lot of practical uses for them. Um, oh, yeah. You don't have to shoot at f1.2 or f1.4 or f1.8 all the time. You can definitely shoot at f3.5 as long as you're not zooming in and out. This lens could be perfectly practical for you. It may not be as spectacular as uh, some of the images you see out of the 51.2 or some of these very expensive lenses, but right. used correctly, it's a pretty decent bargain. And the IS is actually a good point. That wasn't in the original uh, 80 or 18 to 55, was it? I thought that was a new to the Mark II version. Um, mine's got it. Is yours the uh, Mark I or the Mark II? Or is there a Mark I, Mark II? I thought there was, but no. I, I don't know. Mine is that exact lens, and I got it probably two or three years ago. I'm not sure. Um, but I was going to say, too, this lens is great because of the uh, the aperture. It's great for uh, outdoor with, uh, with, like, a bounce and stuff like that when you've got lots of light. Fantastic. Yeah. Hmm. What about – are there any other kit lenses? I guess I don't know what cameras you have in your collection – um, I have one kit with me, and this is actually – I'm reaching back for it here if I can find it. This is the kit lens that comes with the Canon EOS M, and this is the 22mm. And this is only a maybe a $85 or $100 lens, and it's actually pretty good for a kit lens, F2, so sort yeah. of wide, you know, sort of um, – sort of wide open. You can kind of drop the background out a little bit, and it's really cheap. Um, it is – feels cheap too and it's fly by wire so i guess you're not- <laughs> well yeah this, this honestly this is the only kit lens that that i that i have oh, okay <laughs> all my all my yeah all the other ones are everything else i bought uh after i like vintage uh, used nikon lenses and stuff like that so one other thing to think about when you're buying a kit lens is, is um, sometimes resale value is more than the package price so yeah. if you get for example the uh 24 to 105 f4 is a kit lens for some of the higher end cameras that uh sells for 650 or 700 dollars. but a lot of times if you get it in the kit with the camera the price you're actually paying for that lens is somewhere in the range of 450 or 500 so if you turn around and sell that on ebay or somewhere else uh, you can get a couple extra hundred dollars towards a few primes or some better lenses I don't know that the 18 to 55 is really a hot seller on eBay. I'm guessing $120 range, maybe $150 yeah. range, but uh, still not a bad little steal if you get the right price on, say, a T5i or a T4i or something like that. Now, yeah. with lenses, what filters do you use? Do you throw on the generic UV filter? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I'll use it. Mostly uh, polarizers, NDs stuff like that. But yeah, UVs for sure for protection of my more expensive lenses. Now, what if you could get one that was made out of Gorilla Glass or Sapphire? Ooh. What would be <laughs> What would be the benefit of the the Sapphire? Well, the uh Sapphire, um if you look at the comparisons and I've got one up here, uh this is from Novo who's supposedly producing some Sapphire and Gorilla Glass UV filters. The Sapphire itself, they make it into sheets. They grow it in some kind of a vat system. And with the right settings, it basically becomes sort of glass-like. But it's nine times stronger than regular glass, I believe, or 9.5 times stronger than regular glass. And it's scratch-resistant. Now, it still does shatter, so if you slam it up against something, it'll break into pieces, but it's scratch-resistant. So imagine with your regular glass UV filters, where after a while, you kind of just throw them out and get another one because they, they kind of get scratched up over time. And I actually know a lot of guys who don't use lens caps. They just use their UV filters as kind of a protector. I don't know why that is, what possesses them to do that, but uh, I've seen it That's happen weird. more than <laughs> once. I maybe it's when your stuff is is not as important to you or somebody else is paying for your equipment that's the way to go i don't know yeah maybe 
<laughs> I, I, I honestly like UV lenses for me. I like to uh, take a hammer, put them in a, a little towel, smash them, and then stick them on, on my uh, lenses as you know, use them as kind of like a diopter in front, or just screw them on for effects and stuff. But other than that, I don't really <laughs> use them. Admittedly, <laughs> I keep them um, on my expensive lenses. I keep uh, I buy the nicer, and this is kind of a, an aside note, but I buy the more expensive. Uh, B and is it B and M? B and the German company that makes filters is it M and B. One of those two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those guys they sell they're they're like eighty bucks a piece, but supposedly they don't cause any loss in optical quality or anything when you have them on. And I've heard the argument both ways. A lot of people actually go naked because they think that any kind of filter, unless they're using an ND or something like that, will affect yeah. the image quality. For video, you don't notice that on something like the 5D Mark III because there's so much compression already going on as it's scaling down that it doesn't matter. For photography, I have seen where people really zoom into sections and stuff and you can actually see a difference. So I generally yeah. buy the nicer filters just as, I don't know, some mental thing that I think is the right thing to do. But I really have shot with people who use cheaper filters, the... Uh, the standard off-the-shelf Tiffin and so on that aren't really high-end yeah. stuff. And I couldn't really see any issue with their footage coming out. And it does keep crap off your lens. Um, I was in a blood shoot the other day where we actually had oh, to shoot spraying blood all over the place. And you know what's <laughs> great? Picking crusty blood off of your UV filter instead of your lens element. So, right. you know, in those situations, that is probably a good thing also i don't know how many different types of filters you use but some glass filters are actually much better at giving you effects than post effects are so there's a lot of really good comparison uh things to check out on youtube and on well bnh has a really good example but they go through and they show a filter applied in photoshop or in video production and then a filter applied on the lens itself and the physical filter, even the cheap ones, generally do a better job than the filters applied in post. So yeah. normally I argue against matte boxes, but if you can only get the filter in a square format that slides into a matte box, or that makes it the easiest way to use it with all your lenses, then that might actually be a good reason to have a matte box. Yeah, it's true. I, I don't know why, like, I, I love matte boxes because, uh, because of that, because you can, you can use a graduated ND and you can stack NDs and you can use a polar, pol, uh, polarizer and, and like, I actually use that stuff. So I don't, I don't know when people say like, Oh, matte boxes just look cool and stuff. I mean, they do, <laughs> but I actually use mine for four by four filters. Yeah. A lot of times I really just use screw on filters for most of my stuff. So I have a handful of variable NDs. Uh, I, I think their stingray is the, the brand I normally use. They're pretty expensive. They're like 300 bucks. And then I also have some cheap ones too, when I don't really care that much if things turn a little bit purple, but, um, <laughs> but those, you know, you just slide on and then, um, I have adapter rings to go back and forth for different sizes. And I, you know, most of the time it's not really an issue, but occasionally I'm like, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could just stack a couple of NDs in front of each other? Or if yeah. I had like a yellow filter, if I wanted to do something like that, so yeah well you can you can also just get cheap uh cheap uv filters and uh it's it sounds kind of trashy but you can just take take markers and, and color on them and stuff and get different because it's so close to the lens you know what i mean you can color on them and get different effects that way or break them like i said get the, the walking dead effect by scratching them and throwing sand all over them and stuff like that yeah, I'd, I've never done that, actually. That sounds interesting. How does it work? Yep. I mean, does it look good in post? Uh, does it give you that, like, kind of out-of-focus yeah. bits and pieces? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Uh, or, like, uh, you can take, uh, buy, like, a cheap uh, diopter, yeah. you know, like, for whatever, anything, and then just kind of stick that in front of the lens and, and, I don't know, you can tape it, hold it with your hand, uh, move that around, and it does really cool things and. uh I, you know, I, I use that kind of stuff all the time. Huh. And that's, that's not a new thing. I, I see it all the time from uh, cinematographers and people have been doing that for years. I do not break stuff and put it in front of my lens very often. So you should, you should start. 
now you got me thinking. Actually, <laughs> one time I did use, they sell the gel filters for lights and we needed yeah. something to look like uh, it was kind of burning and melting. So we actually took a, one of those propane torches and hung oh, a cool. gel filter out a little ways from the camera, focused forward and then melted that so that it gave like this gooey, like light bending sort of thing in front of it. But oh, that's cool. yeah, but, uh, that was kind of like a one-off thing when we were planning ahead for something. Normally, I don't know that I, I, I know I shoot a lot of horror stuff and a lot of blood and guts, but I don't ever get into the situation where I'm like, man, if only I could have dirt and crud on my lens to film this, you know, I, maybe it's because yeah. it's just lower budget stuff and I'm kind of in a hurry, but, uh, those are interesting things. I might have to start experimenting with those. Yeah, yeah, the diopter is like probably one of my favorites, just because that bends light and it gives you crazy looking flares and weird parts of the of the screen, or it like completely magnifies one little part and looks all crazy. So good for uh, dream sequences and stuff. Do you do any of the um, uh, where you basically unscrew your lens and light leak into your camera? I believe it like lens knocking or lens lens whacking. Whacking. There you go. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've done that. I. Uh, yeah, I, I do that a little bit. I, for a while it was, it was a little, I felt like everybody was doing that. So I stopped doing that, <laughs> but it is cool for, for some things. I, I find it kind of hard to control, um, sometimes. And I'm always kind of worried that like all this crap is flying inside of the body of my camera and it's going to break it or something. I don't know why. Well, I don't like exposing the sensor at all. And when you're doing that, you know, your mirror's all the way up. So your sensor is kind of yeah. getting exposed to the world. Yeah. I kind of, if I do need that look, they sell a ton of kits online. They're, they're just digital plugins that have light leak built into them so that you can add that to your image in post. And it does a pretty decent job of kind of max masking that and giving you that sort of weird look. And that's kind of, I was just working on dream sequence actually. And that was what we ended up using for that dream sequence was um, one of these light leak plugins. So I suppose that's a alternative if you don't want to endanger your stuff, but I, maybe you have a cheap uh, 5d Mark one or a 5d Mark two or a T two I or something like that laying around that you don't mind putting in danger then yeah maybe that's the way to try it i don't know or uh or lens baby those lens baby uh oh yeah that's true lenses that's kind of the, the safe way to do lens whacking and you buy those once and i i just i've never bought one because i don't think i would use it enough i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather put my camera in danger than buy a whole set of those things so i don't know but uh yeah if that's the way you're worried about, then the lens baby works pretty well as well. Well, some of those special items, like um, I had a tilt shift uh, 90 in for a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see all these beautiful, uh, everything looks like toys running around on the ground and they're shooting from yeah. some high spot and they're doing time lapse. And I thought, man, I could really use that. And then I got one. I used it like once and that was because I forced it into a thing that I needed to do. And I'm like, man, this is really cool. And then it just sat and it sat and I didn't really like have any actual use for it. And I finally just sold it because, you know, if you're not really into that specialty look and you don't have a good excuse to use it all the time, then what's it really for? That's right. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. I mean, a lot of those, even tilt shift lenses and stuff like that. I don't know. I would just try to, uh, I guess, replicate it and impose the best I could. It probably wouldn't look as good, but like you said, I I would only use it once, maybe twice. Yeah. And I kind of run into that a lot with um, any of the specialty looks. You think you're going to use it every single day and it's going to be the best thing ever. But as soon as you get it and you start messing around with it, it ends up being a tool that you like, but you never actually use. I have actually a lot of kit that I've been kind of clearing out lately because of that. It's it's something in my lens collection, for example, that I don't use enough. I, I used to have the 85.12 and the 85.18, and I got rid of the 85.12, even though it's a beautiful, awesome lens because I never used it at 85.12. I always yeah. used it at f2 or so, and then... It's heavy, it's fly-by-wire, and it was kind of bulky, and I was always afraid to scratch the back element because it's right up against the flange as you're screwing it on. Whereas the 8518, don't care if I mess it up because it's <laughs> only a quarter of the price of this other one, you know? If I break it, yeah. well, I can get another one for fairly cheap. So 
I don't know, make sure when you're buying stuff that you actually have a practical use for it. Otherwise, you end up like me with a reflex media screen hanging in your studio that you can't get to work right. And you're just frustrated that you wasted $800 or so on that kit. <laughs> or or you can, uh, t- like, I, I will uh, seek out uh, different uh, gear and, and rent it first, even for just a day. Because I'd rather put that money out once and make sure that it's something I'm going to use uh, or borrow it from a friend or something like that, just to make sure that uh, I'm actually going to use it long term. Definitely. Uh, in fact, there was one thing we were talking about in a cast about uh, five episodes ago, and I don't remember what it's called, but it's a, a way to rent your gear that you're not using sort of in the Airbnb manner. And Yeah, I've heard of that. I don't know what it's called. If, if anybody finds it, look it up. It's in some of the older show notes. Uh, maybe I'll post it in the uh, show notes here once I find it. But you basically go to the site, you post all your gear that you're not using at the time, and then local people can rent that gear from you in piece and parcel as they need it and you can charge whatever the going rate is so that your gear is still making you money when you aren't using it for any sort of project and if you're someone like me who has four different camera bags full of lenses one for each set of cameras there's a lot of times where i personally am not using a lot of my kit i'm using maybe one bag worth of kit and the rest of it's just hanging out i've really considered this and and maybe if i'm move to a bigger city in the future, that might be the way to go. Uh, if you have a bunch of gear or even a little bit of gear, a nice lens or a nice camera body that's going to be sitting around for a couple of weeks, maybe this is something to consider. Yeah. I, I, hey, just another uh, revenue stream. As long as you're comfortable, because I know we've talked before on the podcast about you uh, you renting some of your lenses, and you said I, there will be no way that I will rent my, what was it, your Canon set you have or something oh yeah my canon primes so there's things that i'll 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 rent (laughs) and things that i'll lend out the kind of there's a line i cross where it's like okay if you're gonna pay me to to borrow this equipment or rent it from me that's one thing and if i have insurance that covers that and all that but if you're one of those guys and i have a few friends like this that are like hey i'm gonna be filming something later and i need a camera And if that's the case, you are not getting my 5D Mark III. You're not getting my GH4. You're not getting my Sony A7S or any of that stuff. You are getting this guy right here, the Canon EOS M (laughs) and a few old Nikon lenses. And I'll throw it into a bag for you and let you borrow it. The reason being is because if you bust this, this body's maybe $200. This lens is... uh, uh, 80 bucks or a hundred dollars. So we're talking about maybe $500 worth of gear as opposed to one camera body that's worth 3000 or $2,000. Yeah. And if you're yeah. renting it and you're making money off of it and there's a way to somehow protect your gear. Uh, for instance, if you hire me, for example, uh, you can hire me by myself to come out to your project and work, or you can hire me with my gear to come out to your project and work. And in that sort of contract, you pay extra for me to bring my equipment with me as part of my day rate. So then that's sort of paying for the equipment and I'm there to babysit it. Now, if you're just like, Hey DJ, I want your equipment, but I don't need you. I've already got a guy. Then that's another story. And we have to work something out where it's insured and you know, everything's taken care of properly. There's a pickup and drop off time and so on. Uh, You don't want to just hand your gear off to somebody and be like, Hey, yeah, um, give me a hundred bucks and you can borrow this indefinitely, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, now everybody knows. So if D, if you want to borrow stuff from DJ, it's only the EOS M. <laughs> I, I do have a T2i as well that uh, is Maybe. fairly beat up. <laughs> if I like you a lot, you can borrow that one. Uh, I actually – I know guys um, – I, I don't know – they're not my friends, but I just know of guys um, around me that they'll actually rent – uh, full uh, red epic packages and like red dragon packages, but and it's cheap. Like in, for red, it's five hundred bucks Canadian a day, which is pretty cheap. Yeah, that's. But you have to, uh, like a guy comes with with it, and they they you know they say it as oh well we're, he's there to make sure that that it you know it runs perfectly for you for the full eight to ten hour day, but he's there to babysit the equipment, but still. It's it's worth it as long as you know he's not super annoying or anything. 
I think uh, the last time I priced out a a red package, it was um, four thousand dollars for two weeks, maybe, or four thousand dollars American for maybe three weeks. It was a fairly substantial amount of time, and it seemed like a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. I don't know if it's just because uh, red gear has come way down in price, and that I I think that might have been an, an original red one, not one of the newer MX versions or upgraded versions. Yeah. So maybe that has something to do with the pricing. But uh, that was Still. that was five or six of the of the battery packs. That was media. That was um, I think three lenses or four lenses, and uh, wow. and there was some some other support bit that came with it. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, yeah, so. Maybe. Yeah, and uh, so it didn't seem like a bad, a bad deal overall. And check into it. You know, a lot of these uh, online places will rent you and mail you stuff, so you can get gear, uh, anything you can think of, really. Any kind of camera body, all the way from the most expensive down to even a Sony RX10, which is an all-in-one kind of point-and-shoot type of camera. And those things, if you want to experiment with them and you're on a budget, I mean. I was just pricing this out actually for somebody. Uh, he had a, a funeral, and it's unfortunate that he has a funeral. But what happened was he had like I, th- I believe he was shooting on a a seventy D, and he had a kit lens, and he was like, "This is only going to happen once. A lot of the family can't make it down, and I want to I want to film and photograph this so that I can show it to the rest of the family, and it'll be something that they can carry with him." And I I said, well, wait a minute. Instead of worrying about, you know, buying another lens or whatever, why don't you get a camera body, a couple of good lenses, and maybe a flash head to go along with it in order to cover this event uh, properly? And I priced it out, and I think a 6D, a 24-70 to f2.8, and a few other items, it was going to be somewhere in the range of 200 bucks, where he was looking at spending six or seven hundred dollars on a nice lens for his camera body and the event i i believe that was a four-day rental and the event was going to be a day so he has it for four days he has a day to familiarize himself with it a day to go to the event and then i suppose family meetings and stuff like that afterwards so now you have all the tools that you need and you spent two hundred dollars as opposed to investing in a new body or a new lens and you don't have to worry about trying to use that enough to make it worthwhile you just use it for what you need it and then send it off yeah no that's that's really good advice that's cool i would uh, i would do that i find that around where where i am uh in london ontario canada we're kind of we're kind of lacking in in uh like rental uh houses we only have one kind of big box store that that does it but they put the full price on your credit card and they gotta mail it and it takes forever and there's all kinds of rigmarole and then all the american ones they won't send it over the border understandably are there any uh, canadian versions of like lensrental.com or borrowers.com or any like anything like that there there is one and i can't remember the name right now but there there is one and it it, uh but they're just i find that they're kind of limited i mean in terms of dslr lenses i've got everything that i need in terms of like primes and stuff i already own it i I try to. I usually try to rent out cameras, but they don't really have a lot of camera bodies. It's just lenses. Huh. Yeah. It's a niche. Anybody wants to start something up. Well, it's kind of interesting hearing it from the Canadian perspective because in the States you have so many options. And yeah. it's kind of um, – did I ever show you that website, uh, Canada, where it's just a list of things you can't do in <laughs> Canada or can't get? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing of like they can't get this type of Netflix or they can't get Amazon Prime or they can't get – and you're like, oh, man, you know, for yeah. as close to the United States as Canada is and then they're, they're limited on so many things. Now, yeah. uh, that's enough sad stuff. Let's talk about <laughs> something useful here. Um, camera bags are one of the things that is – it's kind of not exciting, but it's also something that everybody really needs. And I kind of yes. wanted to show off a couple of bags that I normally use. My travel bag, for one, is is one of my favorites, actually. And I've been harassed a few times by this because it, it kind of looks like a purse – it's a man purse. It's a man purse. It's a messenger bag. You can call it what you will. I don't mind being. Yeah, it's ex- a masculine carry-all. Yeah, at least it's green. It's got a racing stripe on it, whatever. Yes. Um, this is yep. a Tamarack uh, 344 rally bag. And the, the reason this bag is nice is because if you look inside here, you can fit a body in the middle and two lenses on either side. 
Uh, if you're using the GH4, you can go even further, and I can fit five primes in here and a zoom, and this bag won't weigh that much. The flap in the front gives you just enough room to slide a 8-inch tablet in there for photo editing and some basic video editing. And then in the back here, you have a little area for show notes and stuff like this. And this bag is very durable. It's got a seatbelt style material for the strap that goes all the way around and then two little expansion deals for water or whatever. So if I'm traveling really light, this is actually my personal sort of photography slash video bag when I'm, I'm out in, you know, Europe or something like that. And I'm not on a project, but I've kind of fallen into an all Tamron or, or Tamarack shop. Tamarack. So now if, here is another one. Uh, you can see the <laughs> Tamarack logo here. And I know what you're thinking. Tamarack bags are really expensive. But the trick is, is that a lot of people go to the, you know, go to their local shop and they're like, here's the best bag. You should buy this. They buy it and then they realize that they're not going to do that much photography. And then they sell it on eBay. Well, these bags have almost zero resale value. So yeah. they go from, <laughs> like this bag right here, for example, this is the uh, 608. And this bag is, I believe, 150 or $200 new. But if you go on eBay, you can buy it for like $60. So yep. that cuts it way down. And I have the uh, 622 and a few of the other bigger Tamarack bags, and those are three or $400 new. But if you go on eBay, again, 60 bucks, $55, $75. And these bags have lifetime warranty, so if something rips or tears they'll still let you send them in and do uh, other than paying the postage to mail them in. They'll do the repairs on them for you and send them back. And they're really good bags. I mean, the seatbelt material that goes all the way around it is all the way over the bottom, goes all the way through and is reinforced on the entire bag. So it's really nice and solid. They've got a lot of padding. And then a lot of these bags have a Velcro and a button style adapter across the top that has little uh, little uh, sandwich type bags that you can put your your minor bits and pieces, your cold shoe mounts, and so on. And it gives you a really nice sort of I don't know crap holding section, wire holding <laughs> section, junk section, whatever. Yeah. I end up even uh, one of them on one of my bigger bags. It's the bag is long. The little bag that tapes up to the top of the hood is long enough that you can fit a full boom mic in there. So I I kind of wrap it up in foam and shove it in there instead of putting its big box and then throwing that in with the rest of the stuff. It makes it a little bit easier to travel. What about you? What kind of bags are you using? Um, I've uh, I, I'm like. I, I totally agree. I, I was going to suggest, I mean, jump, even if you want to get them even cheaper, those, t those type of bags, uh, like your local Kijiji, if you can buy it what locally. What the heck is a Kijiji? Oh, you guys don't have Kijiji? No, that sounds like some kind of uh, a, genie in a bottle. A, it's it's kind of like Craigslist, but kind of better because there's <laughs> pictures. There's pictures and stuff, but it is basically Craigslist, but it's called Kijiji. I thought that uh, American South Kijiji, maybe not. I do not know about Kijiji. That sounds I, – I thought you were just like mixing some words together or something. I didn't know that no, was a real no, thing. No, no. Someone else – yeah, yeah. It's, it's just – it's like like Craigslist, but it's got pictures and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, or Craigslist. You know, you've heard of Craigslist, right? Yes, I okay. use Craigslist <laughs> okay. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, I find that they're even cheaper on, on there because, you know, eBay is kind of – can be kind of saturated sometimes with stores and whatnot. So – um, that's where I get all mine, but I've got actually, uh, an old, but, uh, true, uh, I needed a, like a backpack. So I've got like an old Olympus system backpack. The reason that I like this so much is a, I can, I do, I was telling you before I do a lot of, uh, event coverage, concerts, yeah. stuff like that. So I don't feel comfortable in big crowds leaving, uh, some of my gear around. So, uh, I carry it on my back cause, uh, I'm, I like to punish myself like that. Um, <laughs> But the reason I like this is it's got it's it's all bright annoying orange inside with a with a couple of different flaps so it's, I keep my my markers and batteries and stuff in there uh, and then I've got a whole bunch of junk in here cameras and audio gear and stuff like that so I can carry everything with me and find it real easy because everything's all orange and I think I got this for like I think I got it for like forty bucks off of uh, off of the Canadian Craigslist, also known as Kijiji. Nice, <laughs> nice. Now so that's that's how I buy all my bags, honestly, because I beat the crap out of them. So is the so uh, orange pretty easy then to like see stuff on stuff? <laughs> yeah, because 
you know, if, if everything's th- those little bags, it's fine to have everything black. But when I've got all my audio gear and all my camera gear and all, like, you know, five or six lenses and yeah. all kinds of junk, everything's black. It's it, it's hard, especially if I'm in a dark concert. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. So uh, that makes it a lot easier to just yeah see everything that's piled up on top of each other and everything. The, and it's super comfortable to wear for like eight hours. So. The Ape cases, um, that's another brand that's kind of an oddball one, but it's out there. They do yellow yeah. on the inside. And the yellow, that was what I found was really nice about it is same thing as you're saying with the orange, except the yellow is even brighter. Anything yeah. that you set on top of it is high contrast. So it's really easy if you drop an audio connector or something like that into the bag, you can find it pretty fast because it's so a black on yellow. It's, it's really easy. The Tamarack bags, if you lose a small bit in there, they're gray on the inside. <laughs> and if it's dark, you're right. It's hard to yeah. find stuff. So that is kind of cool. Uh, orange, you know, maybe I need to experiment with more bags. I've just kind of fallen in love with Tamarack in general and they're so nice bags. Um, the, and the other thing that I really love is they're waterproof. So, or what I should say waterproof. You don't throw them in the lake, but they're water resistant. Um, I was out on a a shoot, uh, last summer and, we were doing something and I had closed the camera bag up and it, I had set it off to the side while we were filming something else. And then I had somebody else carrying around my second bag and it starts pouring rain out of the blue. So we all run for cover and we're looking <laughs> over there and the camera bag is like right out in the middle of the open space, just getting pelted with hail and rain and everything. And Nightmares. I, yeah. And, it, and none of us were brave enough to go out there because the hailstones started coming down and we're talking, you know, three quarter inch or so big stuff. <laughs> and so we just waited it out and I go over as soon as the hail passes and uh, it's just sprinkling again, grab the bag, bring it back over. And the water is just beating off the top. And you take one hand, you just go like this, you know, wipe it all off and you're good to go. And I, so I started looking into it to find out, you know, how actual water resistant it is. Well, it turns out, if you look at the bag itself, and this is for the video viewers, not for the uh, audio viewers, but there's a flap right here. So see how it has this like extra sort of thing, this cover over? Oh, yeah. As yep. soon as you close the lid, that falls over all of the zippers and anything else that would normally let water in. And it kind of nice. creates like an umbrella over the bag itself to keep everything safe. So then as soon as you pop this open, then you have this whole like extra sleeve with the with the zipper underneath of that. So the whole top and sides are all water resistant to keep water out of your camera bag, which is really nice. The other thing they do is uh, the bottom is water resistant. So if you're setting your camera bag down, I think that morning we were filming and it was kind of, um, it was really humid the night before. And as it cools down, you have a lot of dew and everything on the grass. So as you set this down, you don't have to worry about it soaking through and then getting into your bag that way. I still like to put down some sort of plastic or something after a while, but if you're in a hurry and you're kind of just setting stuff down really quick, you don't have to worry as much about these. And I've had some of these bags for upwards of seven years and, and not completely destroyed them. And I overfill them. I abuse them. I carry them all the time. Uh, they're really solid bags. So, yeah. And I mean, a piece of advice too, is if you, if you buy cheaper bags and, or no name bags, and you're not sure how water resistant they may be, uh, I just take, uh, like take everything out of them, obviously. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then I take some uh, Scotch Guard or whatever, or 3M Guard, or you know all the water repellent type stuff, and okay. just spray it down, just like a pair of shoes, um, just so if anybody spills something on it, at least there's a bit of a chance. How how well does that stuff work? I've never actually used the spray on protector. Pretty pretty good. There, there's a couple of YouTube videos of a of a guy with like a brand new pair of like white shoes. Yeah, and he puts the. I don't know if it's like Rust-Oleum or some brand name stuff and he just sprays it all down and then he takes it and dunks it into like a, you know, like a thing of black paint or, or a big thing of gravy or something really ridiculous. <laughs> and it just, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it just comes out and there's, it's, it's not even on there. It doesn't even touch it. Nice. That's yeah. Uh, so look that up. It's good fun. Uh, that's, uh, that's gravy, man. Like, oof. yeah. I've got this bowl of gravy here. What am I going to do? Uh, let's put a shoe in it and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Wow. Gravy. All right. Well, we've kind of covered most of the show notes this week. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we move to the pick of the week? Uh, no, that's that's good for me. That's great. All right. What do you got? Uh, my pick of the week this week, speaking of filters, is uh, the very versatile and uh, often overlooked, maybe not, 
Um, but I've got the uh, the Vid Atlantic uh, anamorphic filter, which uh, I use a lot actually. I don't really, know if you've seen this thing? Yeah, the kind of like uh, oblong mm-hmm. egg shape sort of thing. Yeah, with that little piece of filament in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I, uh, I love this thing. I use it a lot with vintage lenses, and I've just been using it recently f- uh, for a, uh, for a concert, and it looks so cool with all the when you've got the lights coming at you, and if they've got a, like a really good light show, it just adds that much more interest. And then uh, you know if you don't have to spend a whole bunch of uh, time in post adding all the J.J. Abrams light flares. Nice. <laughs> no, but it's fantastic for a hundred bucks. That's super cool. So I think. it it's got like a does it have like a little um, uh, lens type of deal on top of that uh, section or or how does that actually work there? Um, so so it's got I've actually got a, a an adapter on the back here, but if you look okay, um, so you, so you can actually you can actually turn it uh, while it's on your camera. Um, so that your your uh, flares can go different ways, and the um, that oval cat eye looking thing, uh, that dark spot, it changes the uh, the bokeh or bokeh, however you say that. Oh, okay. Um, right. It it gives it that anamorphic look, so everything's uh, an oval shape instead of instead of circular. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I've been messing around. You seem to mess around with a lot more of the uh, uh, actual built onto the lens effects than I do. I I haven't really played around with a lot of that stuff because it's like I don't really need it for anything. Yeah, well, I just I you know I I'm kind of of the mindset I like to get like 95 percent of everything in the camera as much as I possibly can because it saves everybody time on the back end. I mean, sometimes you can't avoid it, but that's why I love this. And I know also I can't afford to buy a real anamorphic lens, and I don't really want to deal with the ones that you do put on because you need like five hands to run them. Yeah. Sometimes. Now, talking about uh, lens flares in general, have you ever done that trick where you just kind of have someone with a flashlight hanging slightly off frame and generating yeah. the lens flares for you? Um, yeah. We've done that a few times, and it works pretty well when you're when you're really needing that sort of look. It's I, Maybe it's a little more tricky than having just a simple adapter that you can twist around, but... Well, I mean, it, that, even that, that trick with this adapter would, would still do really cool things. The other thing is, is I mean, if you, if you don't want to pay for something like this, you buy one of those cheap UV filters and you take a piece of, uh, uh, like, fishing line or whatever, the thinnest you can get, and you just kind of tape it at the top and bottom yeah. uh, on the lens, and you can do the same thing. Nice. Well, my, yeah, what about you? What you my got? pick of the week is not nearly as exciting as yours. I love comfortable headphones, and Ooh. honestly, a lot of times, um, I don't even listen to them half the time. I, when I'm working <laughs> on a project and I'm, I'm by myself or I'm with one other person, a lot of times people will come to you and start talking to you, but you can pretend as though you are listening to the most important <laughs> thing ever and ignore them by putting on these thin Motorola headphones. These little, uh, Motorola headphones are Bluetooth compatible. So, uh, a lot of times if I'm, if I'm just getting stock footage or something like that, I will put these on and I listen to a lot of audible while I'm doing that sort of thing. So you can have these on, they're nice and light. They're really tiny. They last for about six hours and they also are an awesome way to keep people from bothering you. Um, especially if you're working on a project for a long time and you're, you're doing something where audio is not important and you're paying attention to like what you're cutting or something like that. You put these on and when someone looks at you and starts talking, you just go like, you know, and you point at your ear and you say like, I don't know, I can't hear you, you know, and if they keep bothering you, then you push a couple buttons and you're like, ah, and then you just continue to do what you're doing. And uh, I know that's a jerk move, but it's kind of been my like great people rejector. And I, I use them in crowds too. A lot of times if, um, if you're in an area where you're not really supposed to be filming, but you need like a crowd of people and you're filming something, uh, like at, I was filming at a stadium the other day cause we just needed some stock footage of a bunch of people coming out of a stadium and I wasn't really supposed to be there, but instead of getting harassed by the security guards because I had a camera and I was doing this, I had my headphones on and when the security guard started yelling at me to stop filming, I was like, and he just like gave up and walked away. And so <laughs> That's awesome. that is kind of like 
a second level of defense for that sort of thing. And, you know, I don't know what the consequences would have been if there was a fine or anything like that. Um, I think they had signs up that said no filming or, or flash photography or something, but whatever. Use these headphones. They're really comfortable. They're about $26. Uh, I keep three pairs of these guys, actually, and I just keep them all charged. And if I'm going an entire day doing something like that, I can just rotate through these sexy little headphones. Now, I will say that Bluetooth in general is not the best for high-quality audio. Audio. So if you're trying to use these to monitor something, that's not the way to go. But the other thing I found these really useful for, and I think I've talked about this in the past, if you have somebody that has to deliver lines and they're not good at uh, reading or remembering or whatever, and you don't have a teleprompter, you can put those lines into audio by having them read them to a recorder, put them on your phone. And then especially for a female who has long hair, you can put these behind their hair and cover them up pretty easily. There's also ways to do this with earbuds, but then you hit play for each line that they're supposed to say. It plays it to them. They say it into the camera. You play the next line. They say it into the camera, and it makes it really easy for them to nail their lines in one or two takes as opposed to you having to kind of either put up a teleprompter for them and hope that they can read correctly. You get that awkward, like, I'm moving my eyes back and forth in front of the camera, all wacky. You know, so those are a few options that these headphones will solve for you. Um, I don't know. Do you listen to music portably or listen to audiobooks or anything like that? I, I do, but I, I go with the old standard uh, plug-in and then slip it through my shirt, right, just so that I don't – because my biggest pet peeve in the world is having my headphones, <clears throat> excuse me, yanked out of my ears. It just brings on a Hulk-like rage. So I put it in my shirt – and stick them in my ears that way. I I don't know. I just do you do you uh, use earbuds when you're on set or do you use a full full set of cans? Um, I try to stick with earbuds, but I do have uh, I've got um some AKG K two forties yeah that I use. The uh, ones That's I'm wearing right now these are the Snool uh, SR one thousands I believe. <clears throat> And uh, they're really nice. I like the full-size cans because they block out yeah. audio around me. But I never got used to the sticking into your ear, and he's actually holding up at the phones right now. You guys- um, sorry, those are, the, those are the AKGs. Good for recording music. Good for they're, – they're reference headphones. Yeah, so. and they're, it looks like they're open diaphragms, so they breathe yeah. out a little bit. They do. Yeah, I am, when I'm on set, I prefer the, the closed ones. And I know that blocks yeah. out everything else, but I don't really usually want to hear everything else when I'm doing that. I, yeah. I'm not comfortable with the shoving the, the little earbuds into my ears. Maybe it's just because I'm weird or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have ones like I'd rather have full-size cans. Um, I mean, today, this has got a microphone on it. These are from a Samsung phone so <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i i can stand it i i find they're a lot better now these are the ones with like the little silicone pieces oh, okay and they're, they're a lot these are a lot more comfortable because there's nothing worse than them just constantly falling out of your ears yeah the um the other thing they do sell if you work if you're doing some work in like a loud area and you're listening to wireless mics uh they have these headphones now that are they're for drummers normally but they're a wireless set of headphones and they're ear protection to begin with so they're a full-fledged like ANSI rated insulating uh, earmuff that keeps outside noise out and then they have a speaker built inside so that you can actually listen to the audio clearly and block out train noise or crowd noise or whatever and they're really handy again a gorilla filmmaker if you're shooting something from a bit of a distance and maybe you have two people eating at a diner and they have wireless mics on and you're recording that and then you have a whole crowd of people moving around you if you're trying to listen to regular headphones you can't really hear what's going on but if you have something that blocks out all the other noise or in your case if you're getting audio from a soundboard for a um a band playing live or something like that and it's beaming back to your camera being able to have something like that that blocks out the crowd around you so you can just hear the band and what's going on that might help you get the shot that goes along with said action on stage, uh, a drum hit or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, Bose has some really nice noise canceling ones too, that are about a hundred bucks. Um, and, uh, Vic Firth is the one is ones I'm thinking of. Vic, yes, Firth. Vic the is drum, the, yeah, the, yep. the drumsticks. They, they, yeah. And they're like, I think they're about a hundred bucks to 80 bucks. Yeah. They are bucks. noise canceling, but they are huge 
beefy cans that like block everything out. The noise canceling ones, uh, that's another one that is kind of weird for me. It kind of, when I wear the noise canceling headphones, they make me feel a bit nauseous. I I don't know. Like you're underwater or something? Yeah. It's this weird feeling that it just isn't right. It makes me feel like something's going around around my head. Uh, yeah, I've, I've talked to a few people that report that, but most people say that I'm crazy and that that's not a thing. So I don't <laughs> know, but I generally avoid the noise canceling headphones uh, just because it's such a strange feeling. And I, I can't really explain it. I mean, I know how the technology works. It broadcasts out a sound that's the opposite of the sound that's coming in and then they cancel each other out. But for whatever reason, that effect it it makes your head feel like and it makes my head feel like it's in an envelope of some kind or some kind of weird yeah. just like could thing. be just the frequency squishing your your brain lobes i yeah. don't know but i was going to say the the diy version or the the hacked version of uh of those headphones if you if you have earbuds you can just take the earbuds and you just stick them in and then you take some some of the old fashioned like lawnmower okay. headsets and just stick those on top and I'm telling you, you won't hear anything but uh, what's coming in your <laughs> whatever's coming in through those uh, earbuds. That's a for good, the really loud concerts. That's a good pro tip. I didn't think about that. Now, yeah, do you get any ear damage wearing those uh, those little ear earbuds? I mean, I know I've been on the subway before where kids have those like cranked up so loud that I can dance to yeah. the music next to them. Um, yeah. is it worse I, because it's inside your ear, or is it just the same as having these like cranked up? I think it depends on the style of them. Like the old school ones that were just round and never fit in anybody's ears. Yeah. I could always hear those outside. But like these ones, I, I don't have to turn it up very loud because it's literally right in, like right next to the hmm. bones that are vibrating in my ear. So I don't think you'd have to turn those up very loud at all. Just so you know, neither one of us are doctors or hearing specialists. No, so not at all. <laughs> Use at your own risk. But yeah. on that note, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Facebook at Jonathan A. Pictures. That's Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, the proper way. And then uh, then uh, at capital J, Jonathan, capital V, V-I-D-S, at Jonathan Vids on Twitter. And at Jonathan A. Pictures on Instagram. And uh, JonathanAPictures.com. And, uh, Email me. John might even be working on a few reviews for DSLRFilmNoob.com here in the future, so keep an working eye out for it. him <laughs> there. This guy is a busy Canadian worker. Yes, I got to get make sure that I can live through the harsh winters. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or on SoundCloud or any other place that podcasts are distributed. Look for DSLR Film Noob or DSLRFilmNoob.com for more updates on all of that. Be sure to check out the video if you want to see what we were touching in this video. Otherwise, enjoy this via audio. A couple of people have complained that this is just two guys talking. Well, you requested video, we're doing video. But the audio is my preferred method of enjoyment for a (laughs) podcast. On that note, I will see you next time and John will be back again very soon. Thanks for listening to DSR Film Noob Podcast. (laughs) 